I don't want to go that place. It breaks my heart because so much going and confusion. If you read this history of the church and the scripture, whenever anything came along, it was God over all controlling everything. Not men, not the doctors, God. This morning I spoke in our Bible study that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, imagine the picture, David, 15 years old, standing before King Saul. Everybody so petrified. Goliath was the man. He's going to take over. He was going to take over. Fear was there. There was one man, young boy, David. And Saul said that you can't because you are a young boy. You don't know. You haven't experienced anything. And David says, when I was keeping the watch over my father's flock, sheep, there came lion and bear. You remember? Lion and bear. God brought lion and bear. So David can make lion and bear as God's servant to use God's purpose for God's glory. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they did not bow before this humongous statue. The verdict was that anybody does not obey would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego did not back off. And fire became the servant to glorify God who allowed fire in Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego's life. The king would bow before Sadrach, Meshach, Abednego and declare, there is no God like Jehovah. When this virus came, first thought came to my mind, why can't we make virus as a God's servant to use God's purpose rather than be fearful? And he said, oh, oh, what, are, what is going to happen? This virus has given me so much opportunity to witness. You know why? Because virus has no Medicine, and then I said, that is a sin virus. It's a deadly, it takes you to hell. This virus will take you to grave. But sin virus, if it is unchecked, it will take you to hell. Are you afraid of that, or are you afraid of this virus? And I said, I'm not afraid. I know if I die today or tomorrow, I don't worry about it because I know where I'm going. Virus will keep, virus will take you down and grave. Praise God. Thank God for the death. Death has been conquered in victory. 
Do you understand the why these people are so afraid not getting coming to the church? They're so afraid. Oh, we can't, we can't. Make a virus as a God's servant, use God's purpose for God's glory. Persecutions did not stop believers worshiping God. Do you understand? Persecution, martyrs were taken to the stake to burn on the stake. The church was following their pastor. They were about to be, pastor was about to be burned on the stake. His wife was following. His son is following. And his smile is, what I preach with my mouth, I'm going to seal with my blood. Brothers, we are trading where the saints have trod. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Death is going to come whether through virus, through cancer, through accident, through any means. You cannot stop it. One day you will have an appointment with death. And nobody will stand with you. Your wife will not stand. Your husband will not stand. Your children will not stand. Stand, stand with you. You face alone. We all will face. Death will come, but when and how, nobody knows. But good news is, death has been conquered into victory. So, death for the believer is no big deal. No big deal. So why? Oh, I can't. The other day I was, two weeks ago, a person said, are you afraid of shaking hand? I said, I'm afraid of sin and grieving the Holy Spirit. I don't care for other things. I afraid, I fear sin. And I fear the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Rest of the things has no eternal value. Then why we worry? Why we worry? If are you going to lock up in your house because your children say, for heaven's sake, why don't you believe God? Why don't you believe God? Because prove him. This is the opportunity to prove God. His safety, his security, not government security, God's security. And God who has promised you, he will keep you. He will keep you all the way. So don't be afraid. Don't be, oh, I can't shake. I can't, oh, come on. I don't like that. I don't like that. Where did we get that? It breaks my heart, beloved. In India, how many churches burned, but that did not stop believers to worship God? You understand? A pastor was carried away and thrown into the uh, well, but the church kept on singing and praising God. Why would this virus would stop people coming to the church. That is beyond my understanding. 
What a beautiful place God has provided. How awkward that people can sit in the car and then honk the horn while they can come and praise God and sing hallelujah to the Lamb. It grieves me. It grieves me. I'm sure it grieves the holy God. And we make God sick by the way we act. We need to pray. The people would have more fear of God than virus. People would have more fear than grieving the spirit of God. People should have eye to see that. And pray, beloved. You know, what is the legacy you're going to leave behind for your children? Fear? Fear? You want your children to grow up in fear? I don't want to raise my children in that fear. I want them to know the one who is victorious over fear is my Lord. And he is coming back. He is coming back. And that ought to be our passion. My heart's desire, friends, that we all would have a homesickness for heaven. Because this world is not our home. If anybody feels that this world is your home, then you check out whether you are rightly related to the Lord. Well, that is first sermon. Now this is second. Will you please turn with me to Paul's letter to Philemon, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Philemon, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Would you please honor to God's word as we stand? Philemon chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. And uh, I would like to read for you and you follow in your Bible. It's so wonderful, so wonderful. Look at the way Paul begins his letter. Look at the way Paul begins his letter. Paul, a prisoner, prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, Unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier. And to the church in the house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. What a beautiful model. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. <coughs> that the communication of thy faith may become effective or effectual by the knowledge, my acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and Consolation in thy love, because thy bowels 
of the saints have refreshed by thee, my brother. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we humbly pray that spirit of the living God fall afresh on us. Melt us, break us, mold us, and fill us that we may behold your glory in thy word. Here we are, Lord, not to hear the voice of man, but the voice of the one who has written this word. Open our eyes, open our heart, open our understanding, and give us the obedient heart that we may prove your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It's so wonderful that Paul has written this marvelous, marvelous, very short epistle to Philemon. The title for this exposition is The Spiritual Character of One Who Forgives. Let me repeat. The Spiritual Character of One Who Forgives. A way of introduction is... The book of Philemon is a unique in many, many respects. First, it is the shortest of the Pauline writings, shortest. Secondly, it is the only one of the prison epistle addressed to an individual. Thirdly, we don't find any doctrinal teaching like Romans or Ephesians or Colossians. Fourthly, it does not deal with the practical issue in this epistle. And fifthly, Paul takes the truth that the Christians are to forgive each other. And he already wrote, he already written in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, where he says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul also writing, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. So, keep these two verses and now how Paul is reminding Philemon about this truth that now it is your time to prove what you stand for stand for. This is so wonderful that God of the Bible is a forgiving God. Amen? God of the Bible, there is no forgiveness in other religion. Do you understand? Do you know that? There is no forgiveness. The word forgiveness is not there in the world religion. Only one, Christ. And we'll find out. We'll find out. When Moses asked the Lord that I want to see your glory. And the Lord said that you will see my hindsight. But I, you're not going to see my face. And then in the book of Exodus. If, if you please turn with me. Book of Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6 and 7. What a marvelous, marvelous writings of the Holy Spirit regarding who our God is. That is the first expose about forgiving God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. If you find it, read loudly, please. Exodus 34, 
Thank you, Tim. Forgiving the iniquities. Right there. And the theme of the forgiveness, do you understand? Do you know the theme of the forgiveness runs through the Bible? That's amazing. If you have a concordance and the word forgiveness you read, it is amazing. Amazing. In, Ex in, in Psalm number 32, verse 1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Jeremiah 33 verse 8 says, And I will cleanse them from all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Who is like unto our God who can forgive the iniquities? It's amazing God. Psalm number 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far I have removed your transgression. I have forgiven you. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he said, I will throw, I will, uh, in the new covenant, I will remember your sin no more. Oh, I love my God because he doesn't harbor my sins against me. When he has forgiven, he has forgiven all my past, all my present, and all my future. That is the God of the Bible. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of the cross. And there are many verses, friends, but it is nowhere better illustrated than the story of the prodigal son. Isn't it a wonderful story, prodigal son? I love that. You know the story of the prodigal son. You find in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32, a father had two sons, one of whom took his share of inheritance, left home, and 11, verse 11 and 12, after leaving, he squandered everything, and he lost everything. He lost the friendship. And then he ended up in very disaster job. He found it. Verse 13 to 16, he finally came to his senses and remembered how many of my father's hired men have enough to eat and here I'm starving to death. So he said, I will go back to my father. Bible tells us that he returned to his father. Verse 18, he did not expect forgiveness, but the father did not wait for his son to reach him. Picture in your mind, beloved, that son is still far away and father ran to him. A father ran to him and embraced him. Verse 20, later on, he threw a welcome party. Later on, he welcomed, threw a welcome party for his son. The story illustrates how God represented as the father eagerly and lavishly waiting to forgive his son. God, the, God of the Bible, never more like himself than when he forgives. There are, there are two truths are very obvious when you think about forgiveness. Two truths. Remember that. First, 
God's forgiveness of us is based on our forgiveness of others. So now we are getting into deep, so follow very closely. Let me say it again. This is one truth. God's forgiveness of us is based on our forgiveness of others. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, For, for if ye forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive. But if you do not, your heavenly Father will not forgive. So our forgiveness based on God's forgiveness, sorry, God's forgiveness of us is based on our forgiveness of others. Number one, second, our forgiveness to others truly represent God in a true sense. In a true sense. Now, let's get back to the occasion. What was the occasion Paul penned this epistle from Rome prison? Philemon had been led to saving faith in Jesus Christ several years earlier by Paul, probably during his apostolic ministry in Ephesus. You remember in Ephesus, he had to stay for one and a half years, and he was preaching. And at that time, Philemon had opportunity to come to meet personally, and Paul led him to Christ. He had become the prominent member in the church at Colossae. Philemon was a wealthy man. Being a wealthy man, he had a big house. As a big house, he opened up his house and he said, now the church fellowship can have in my house. Isn't it wonderful that we have a church member like that, they're opening their houses and they say, hey, come on, pastor, we can have a church here. And that was in the early church. Early church did not have a building like this. They always had a house worship. House worship. I like that, beloved, because that gives you opportunity to reach out more your neighbors. More your neighbors. So Philemon had opened his house, and Paul addresses to that church in Philemon chapter 1, verse 1. He also owned one slave named Onesimus. Chapter 4, verse 9. Onesimus, who was not a Christian, ran away from his master, Philemon, to Rome. While he was in Rome, through God's providence, this is wonderful when you read about God's providence, that God orchestrated everything for his own glory. You know, you, our finite mind is so limited to understand the infinite God's providences, how God works everything. That's why Romans chapter 8, 28 fits so very well. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 fits so very well. Sorry, chapter 3, verse 12 fits very well that he works and wills according to his pleasure. Everything works together for good because all the providences, God brings our life. It is for him and him and him alone. We don't understand. You meant it evil for me. But God meant it good. Is it not? That is the God we have. Genesis 50 verse 20. So, it is possible that Onesimus traveled to Ephesus with Philemon and met Paul during his apostolic ministry in that city. At that time, he was not converted. Onesimus must have heard his master and household speak about loving words about the apostles and the ministry he was in. Whatsoever, whatever the circumstances, Onesimus met Paul in Rome. That is God's providence. Onesimus met God in 
Rome. Put on your thinking cap in your life. How God in divine providence has brought you where you are now. It's amazing. You can write a letter or paper. How different places, how different way that finally God brought on your knees. It was not your choice. It was not your choice. It was God's divine providence brought you on your knees. So you look up to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me. <clears throat> Onesimus met Paul in Rome. Probably when he has stolen money and the stealing money was a capital punishment in Rome, if you understand that. So probably that was the cause he must have done something in Rome too. He was locked up in prison where Paul came along and met him. Onesimus quickly, Paul immediately shared the gospel and he was changed. Onesimus quickly cling to the apostle Paul. Who would not, my friends? Who would not? When a man of God who brought in the kingdom of God he would like to be with him. When Andrew and John were the disciples of John the Baptist, when John the Baptist introduced, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they follow the Lamb. They follow the Lamb. And then Bible tells us, Master, where do you stay? And Jesus said, come along and stay with us. That is the desire of a redeemed person, that they want to be in the fellowship of God's people. That was Paul. That was Onesimus. He wanted to cling to Paul. He doesn't want to go anywhere. By assisting Paul, verse 11 and 13, humanly speaking, Paul would have kept Onesimus at his side and continued to minister. But, oh, beloved, but there was a serious matter needed to be settled as runaway slave. Onesimus was a criminal. He was running away from Philemon. He had defrauded his master. He may have stolen money from Philemon. Because of that, Paul was telling, if he has taken, if he has, if he owed you anything, I will repay you. Paul writes in Philemon chapter 1, verse 18. I will repay you, Philemon. Paul knew that relationship between Philemon and Onesimus needed to be restored. Onesimus had to return to his master to seek forgiveness and restoration. Paul decided to send a letter to Philemon along with Onesimus under the protection of Tychicus. There was another Christian soldier in Paul's time. In this letter, Paul urges Philemon to forgive Onesimus and receive him as a new brother in Christ. What a wonderful way to deal with the believers and brothers and sisters that they need to get back where they belong to. 
Paul reminded him, Paul reminded him, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, and Colossians 3, 30, that you know about that, so you follow that. <coughs> and treat Onesimus as Christ himself has treated you. What is the spiritual character of the one who forgives? We are living in a very egoistic, central, uh, egoist, egocentral, selfish culture that knows nothing about forgiveness. Our, cultures have our culture have become the decadent, non-Christian, as to see forgiving people as a weak and unforgiving celebrate themselves as strong. Our culture celebrates and exalts in taking vengeance. You see, friends, every day. Our culture celebrates vengeance, anger, hate, hostility. For a Christian, unwillingness to forgive is unthinkable. Unthinkable. It is rebellious, blatant act of disobedience to God with unforgiving spirit. We are to forgive others as Christ, as God in Christ forgiven us. So what do you see today in TV and all these places is egoistic, decadent, selfish, unforgiving culture demonstrating themselves. Demonstrating themselves. This is beside the point that but I brought this morning in our Bible study. That what you see today is demonstration, demonstration of parents' failure to raise their children. If parents have taught their children to obey the law and obey the parents, America would have become heaven on earth. What we see today is a hatred because parents have miserably, miserably failed. Miserably. Miserably. You know, failure to bring five unpleasant results. Are you ready? Unpleasant results. Number one, failure to forgive will imprison believer in the past and the unforgiveness, and the unforgiveness keeps sore open and it never allows the wound to be healed. Dwelling on the wrong done feeds anger, resentment, and robs one of the joys of Christian thing. Let me say it again. Dwelling on the wrong done feeds a person anger, resentment, and robs one of the joys of Christian living. On the other hand, forgiveness opened the prison doors and set the believer free from the past. So many people are in the bondage of the past. Bondage of the past. And Vincent Churchill always said, and I quote many, many times, when the past has a conflict with the present, there is no future. <clears throat> Second, unforgiveness produces bitterness. The longer 
a believer dwells on offenses committed against them, the more bitter they become. The bitterness is not just a sin, it is a deadly virus. The writer of the Hebrew reminds us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, bitterness shuts off the brotherly affection and kindness. Do you know? Sadly, the root of bitterness and unforgiveness often produces the deadly weed of divorce. Forgiveness replaces bitterness with love, joy, peace, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Third, unforgiveness gives Satan an open door. It is no surprise to say that most of the ground Satan gains on our lives is due to unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a lack of love. Forgiveness bars that avenue of demonic attack. Fourth, unforgiveness hinders fellowship with God and our Lord solemnly warned in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, which we've already quoted. It is, it is serious matter to know that one cannot be right with God if he's unforgiven to others. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, when you bring your offering, if you remember your brothers had done something, go back, put your offering, go back to your brother, get right with him. That is the gospel truth. That is the gospel truth. It is a serious matter to know. One cannot be right with God if he is unforgiven to others. Forgiveness restores the believers to the maximum blessings from God. Fifthly, Unforgiveness destroyed family, relationship, friendship, even church relationship. I can't forgive, Pastor. Remember what he did to me? I can't. Why can't not? Why cannot? We, have, we had a mother in Rhinebeck Church. This is the true story. She had a two, one son and daughter, husband dead. One day, get this, one day, she carried the paper bag full of dollar bill. You know how much? 400,000. She was not willing to give her son or daughter. Nursing home took over everything. Before the Good Friday, I went to see her. I wanted her to reconcile with her son and daughter. When I told her, I said, Miriam, what is the message of the cross? You know what did she say to me? If you're talking about forgiving my son and daughter, get out. Later on, a week later, she died. Who got the money? Nursing home. 
unforgiving woman. If there was an epilogue on the tomb, I should have written unforgiven. Unforgiven. Forgiveness makes life stress-free. Isn't it wonderful? Unforgiven shackled a person and damned his soul like Miriam. Paul starts this letter with the name. I wonder when Philemon received the letter, his heart must have stopped. I said, Paul? To me personally? And from jail he remembers me? On the other hand, he was thanking. I said, oh, thank you, Paul, for writing to me. When Philemon saw the letter, his heart must have been thrilled to get it. Paul was the most noble apostle who was largely responsible to spread the Christianity throughout the gracious Roman world, who had led Paul Philemon to Christ. You know, Paul introduces himself. He never if you read all his thirteen letters, he never introduces himself in the beginning, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Later on, he does but not in the beginning. This is the first letter and last letter before he was beheaded. He wrote, Prisoner of Christ Jesus. When, on the other hand, when he wrote, he always wrote with authority that the servant of Jesus Christ, apostle of Christ, all these things establish his authority. In this letter, he never establishes authority. He approaches Philemon as a brother. Brother. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, the unusual way. This letter was addressed to an individual. Paul chooses not to use his authority, but rather appeal to him gently as a brother. Philemon was a wealthy member of the Colossian church. The Colossian church met in Philemon's house. Philemon was a very active man. He was not a deacon. He was not a elder or he was not a counselor, he was not anything, but he was an ordinary member. He was an ordinary member. He addresses him as a beloved fellow worker. Their friendship developed during the Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Now, if you read this later, Paul addresses two persons, very precious people, Aphia and Archippus. Aphia was Philemon's wife. And Archippus was his son. So how does Paul introduce his Archippus? Fellow soldier. Fellow soldier. You know, it's so wonderful when family stays together and serves together the Lord. And here is a family. Philemon and Aphia and Archippus, soldier of Jesus Christ. To show he was actively involved in the ministry. In this letter, he addresses the church also. So the church met at Philemon's house. First century church always met in the private houses. So that brings to our six points, the spiritual marks of the one who forgives. So marvelous, so marvelous. A one who forgives the first mark of the one who forgives, he's always concerned for the Lord. How my relationship with the Lord 
will be affected. A believer, he doesn't live for himself. If he lives for himself, he's not a true believer. Right? One, one who has acknowledged Christ the Lord, he has crucified himself. He doesn't live for himself. He lives for the one who died for him. Remember that. That is true believer. So the believer hears the first thing, he concerned for the Lord. Notice how Paul begins the main body of his letter by praising Philemon. By praising Philemon. It was not a flattering word to Philemon, but it was Philemon's virtuous character. It was Philemon's virtuous character becomes the foundation upon which Paul uses his appeal for Onesimus to forgive. Paul knew firsthand of Philemon's character, having been God's chosen vessel to bring him to Christ and having worked with him. Epaphras was a pastor in Colossian church. you remember that? Because when Paul was penning this letter to Philemon, Epaphras was there in prison. Probably he came to visit Paul. In verse 23, when he was writing in the end, he said, Epaphras is with me. Epaphras is with me. He was a pastor of Colossian church. He too could testify about Philemon as, as could Onesimus. That combined testimony to Philemon caused Paul to say to him, I thank my God, making mentions of thee always in my prayers. Philemon, you don't have to tell me, but I know. So whenever I pray for you, I'm always thanking God for you. Beloved, when you are on your knees or you pray, isn't it wonderful to thank God for brothers and sisters or pastors who led you to Christ? You know that over 52 years now, I was saved in 67. I never ceased to thank God for a man God used in my life. Always thank God for him. He's still alive. I thank God for that brother. It's wonderful. That's wonderful. It's very healthy that you owe that person in thanksgiving to God. That I thank you, God, for that. That. It seemed Paul was always able to give thanks to God whom he prayed for. He knew nothing negative about Philemon. There is no correction note. Everything he heard about Philemon was very good. So that, so the first character of the one who forgives is a concern for the Lord. Concern for the Lord. Paul not only led him to the Lord, but he had heard his growth in the Lord. He heard of his faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for his brothers. Let me pause and ask a question, personal question, and I want you to do inventory. How much have you grown in your faith? How much have you grown in your faith? 
Are you still a baby? Or are you a mature believer? The pastor can count on you. If you have to do some homework, beloved, do that. In what area you need to grow? Write down. And work on it. That is all Christian life is all about, is it not? The Lord doesn't want you to be a child rest of your life. He wants you, he wants you to grow spiritually. And he has given us everything. That's what we are studying in Second Peter. He has given us everything. So our life would not be ineffective. Paul knew about his spiritual growth, that he grew, he grew. A genuine believer, Philemon, was concerned about the Lord and he desired to please him. Oh, friends, is it wonderful that we can please the Lord in every breath of our life? David, again I bring him, he had no pastor, he had no church, he had no youth group, he had nothing. But he knew one thing, when he faced Goliath, what did he say? Today, I will hand over your body and you will be eaten up by the vultures and all that people will know there is a God. There is a God. Because the glory of God was stake, at stake. Who is this uncircumcised Philistines who defile the army of God? Where is that passion in the life of a believer? Oh, friends, that is missing today. That is missing today. We are so content in a culture that doesn't bother us. My heart burns in my soul. When Jesus saw the temple turned into the marketplace, he did not say, I, let me talk to the Pharisees and the scribes. We can negotiate. That is not right. What did Jesus say? He chased them out. The righteous anger. The righteous anger. The glory of God. The glory of God at stake. Since the Lord had forgiven Philemon, Philemon could forgive others. Conviction from the Holy Spirit and from the word of God would provide the opportunity for Philemon to do so. What was the right Christian forgive because they are forgiven. Christian forgive because they are reconciled to God and they have to leave that example while the unbelievers do not have that capacity. I wrote footnote. Those who are controlled by the bitterness will find it hard to forgive others. Is it true? Yes, true. Those who are controlled by bitterness will find it hard to forgive others. 
concern for the Lord, concern for the others, Paul writes, verse 5b, having of thy love toward all the saints. Everybody is talking about Philemon. So Philemon, what your reputation has gone out, think about that. That ought to be the concern for you. Remember the word love, Paul says, having of thy love toward all saints. Love is agape. This is the love of the will, love of the choice, and the love of self-sacrifice. You know, the word love is becoming so cheap in our culture. I love you. Sometimes I wonder, do we really mean it? Because love is sacrifice. Love doesn't seek his interest. Love is seeking the interest of God. So agape, self-sacrifice, the love is the fruit of the spirit. Believers should not be need to be taught about love. You know why? Because God has taught them by his own spirit in dwelling in believers' life. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9. Paul writes to Thessalonians, you don't need to teach you how to love because God has taught you how to love. If a person is genuinely believer, believer, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them. Philemon, Paul reminds Philemon, since Philemon's faith was real and manifested itself in a true biblical love, that love expressed itself in a concern for others. He would think about others, how people would think about if I don't do that. Like Paul says, the love of Christ compels me in 1st Thessalonians, 1st Corinthians, 2nd Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Thirdly, concern for the fellowship. That is a motivation. That is the mark. That the 6b, that the fellowship of thy faith may become effective. When? When you put everything in practice. Is it not? In Isaiah 23, uh, sorry, Isaiah 29, verse 13, the Lord said, thus said the Lord through Isaiah, these people honor me with their lips, but that heart is far. He's concerned for when you practice, our witness become effective. It was much more than merely enjoying each other's company. It refers the mutual sharing of all life. That was the early church it was all about. It could be translated sharing belonging. We know true believers belong to each other in partnership produced by their faith in Christ. Philemon would acknowledge that he belonged to Onesimus as a brother in Christ. So Paul is writing a letter. Onesimus was a brother in Christ. Such an act of forgiveness would send a powerful message to the church about the importance of fellowship. You know, my friend, the church, the people who come in, the, in, in this church, Harvest Baptist Church, if you all, every Sunday what we learn, practice. You don't have to go and preach other people by your word, by your lifestyle. People say, hey, I want what you have. And I always say that is the fifth gospel. People will never, your neighbor will never come to the church. They will never read the Bible, but they read you every day. How do they read? How do they read? How do your children read? 
Paul is reminding Philemon that forgiving Onesimus would be a powerful message to other people. Then the concern for the knowledge, Paul writes, verse 6b, by the knowledge, by acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. These two words are very important words, but English word doesn't make any sense. The Greek language helps us to understand. According to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, believers have been blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. They have a new nature, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. How was Philemon to discover that new nature? How was Paul, how was Philemon to acknowledge that good thing is in him when he put everything into practice? He writes that acknowledging, the word acknowledging is in a Greek word epignosis, uh, not gnosis, gnosis is knowledge. Epignosis is uh, knowledge that refers to the personal intimate knowledge with the truth. John chapter 8 verse 31, if you abide in my word, you're, you are my disciples in, in, indeed. Habitually abide in Jesus' words. Epignosis, knowledge, personal, intimate with the truth. Philemon could read of forgiveness, but until he puts into practice, he could have no experience. Knowledge by giving Onesimus Philemon would experience that good thing, that is, the English word says good thing, but in Greek word, it is a profitable thing. It makes difference. A profitable thing. How would Philemon would know it's a profitable, the knowledge, intimate knowledge he had about God, about his word, how would be profitable to others until he put everything into practice? We sang that song, till this uh, trust to Jesus, and said, prove him now over and over again. What you learn, you practice, heaven will come down and glory fill the house. Fifthly, a concern for Christ's glory. Good thing which is in Christ Jesus, Paul reminds uh, Philemon, the Christian life with all joys, duties, responsibility is for Christ's sake. It is for his glory, is it not? Our life is for his glory. Paul writes, in everything, whatever you do it for the glory of God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. A believer who is devoted to Christ's glory would certainly forgive another, as an unforgiving spirit does not glorify God, but a forgiving spirit will glorify God, because he represents God. Lastly, it is for concern for the blessing. So, a the mark of the Christian who forgives is concern for the Lord, concern for the others, concern for the fellowship, concern for the knowledge, concern for the glory of Christ, and concern for the other blessing. The people will be blessed. So Philemon had reputation for love because Philemon who brought Paul, joy brought. You know, there are three people in Paul's life in the ministry where you read that they refresh my spirit. I love that. Think about your, in your life, 
Who had refreshed you when you were down? Paul says, Philemon, you have refreshed my spirit. Oh, do we, don't we need people or, or brothers and sisters or deacons and all who can refresh pastor, who can refresh one another? And I know people say, hey, you, you, are you discouraged? Contact Pastor Murray. There are people who can help you. Isn't it wonderful? That is all the church is all about, is it not? Then the church would be light on the hill. That's what the light is all about. Oh, may the Lord help us, my friends, that we would manifest what we hear in our private, public, personal life. That we become a living letter of Christ so Christ may glorify. Lord, we thank you so very much for your word which has come to us this evening. Thank you, Lord, for Paul. Thank you, Lord Philemon. Thank you, Lord, that he exhibited his love for Onesimus. We pray, Father, that you pour out your spirit among us that we may live what we believe and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Footnote before I, Pastor Mardikam, Onesimus, let, listen this, history says he became the bishop. Bishop, when Ignatius was dying, he handed over the letter to Onesimus, the bishop. Can you imagine? That's what forgiveness has done.